Good stuff. Um, you know, I'm a music guy, and I love all kinds of music. But I think that I could sing, I will sing of the goodness of God every Sunday. Because it just, it just resonates with God's faithfulness over and over and over again. Um, that was... That was a freebie, kind of off on the side. Um, I, I want to share uh, some personal stuff, and uh, before you get nervous, it doesn't have anything to do with yesterday. Okay, uh, uh, <laughs> on Monday this week, we had a new grandbaby. <laughs> this is Hugo Humphreys, and uh, got one more set of pictures. This is the grandpa pictures. Everybody say, aww. That's Hugo with his big brother, Wesley. Uh, we leave after church today and are, uh, are actually uh, this afternoon and are heading out to Missouri uh, to, be a, uh, to be able to be with them, to meet Hugo. And uh, Deb's going to stay and help take care of them for a couple of weeks, and that's going to be cool. All of that to say this, if, uh, if you have the app, and if you have questions during the message today, send them during the message because we're going to record the podcast, the North Point Plus podcast, uh, immediately after the service today before I head out of town. So uh, hopefully you can do that. Uh, go ahead and open up the app if you've got it. Go to the, to the sermon notes that are there. They'll that'll kind of take you through. If you're watching online, we are really, really glad that you're here. Um, we're in this series called Experiencing God that comes from the, the workbook by uh, Henry Blackbee looks like this. I hope, you're, I hope you're actively engaged in this, that uh, God is speaking to you through it, that you're experiencing his presence in some really cool ways, that you're doing the memory verses and working it all out. I hope that's coming through just loud and clear. Um, the, uh, we're, we start today unit four. The, it's a 12-week study. Um, so, so we're still in the first third. If you haven't done it yet, if you, if you don't have a workbook, let me just encourage you, um, go to Amazon, do it now during the service, order it, get it to your house by Tuesday, get started. And, and you can kind of jump in where we are at unit four, but you want to catch up on those previous weeks as well. Here's just kind of a big picture overview for a second. The first week we talked about this whole idea that you can experience God, that you really can um, experience God in your lives on a daily basis, that he's not distant and far, but that he can be a part of who we are. Um, we talked the second week about God's will, and that it's not about God's will for your life, it's about discovering what God's will is, period, and, and living in the midst of God's will. Uh, last week, we talked about this idea that God loves you and that he's been pursuing a relationship with you from even before the time that you were born. He loves you. Today we're talking about, um, uh, uh, well, before I get there, let me just say this. The, the whole context of this study, of this series of messages that we're doing, is to, is to explore how we can experience God, how, the, how we can see him and interact with him on a daily basis, how we can have a relationship with him, that it's about so much more than just coming to church. It's about so much more than just setting aside time to read scripture just here or there. It's about really recognizing that God is involved in our lives and that he wants us to be in, in, um, in a relationship with him 
where there's conversation back and forth, where he speaks, where, where we respond. Um, today we're talking about how to respond to God, about how responding to God impacts our lives on a daily basis. That's, that's really kind of where we're going. And it, it, um, it really stems from this whole idea of obedience. We, we don't like the word obedience very much, do we? If you have to obey laws, we don't like the, if you have to obey laws, we think about obedience with our laws, and we think, no, that restricts our freedom. I don't like obedience. If, if you're a kid and you think, oh, we've got to obey mom and dad, that's no fair because they don't really respect my maturity. They don't think that I've got it in me to make the right choices. If we think about in the work context and we have to obey our boss, it's because they have positional authority, Right? They're our boss, and, and we're, we work for them, and if we want to keep our job, we've got to obey. It's not any fun. Um, it's uh, for us in, maybe just as Americans, but for many of us, obey is a four-letter word, right? We just don't like it. If you think about having to obey God, sometimes we think about God as this kind of cosmic killjoy, that uh, he has this set of holiness rules that are all designed about spoiling our fun here on earth. And that if we, if we obey God, we're going to end up as a Puritan or we're going to end up like Warden June Cleaver, right? Um, it, it's, uh, we're going to end up wearing outdated clothes. Our entertainment is going to be limited to ice cream socials. Um, you know, it's uh, the best hope that we have on, on earth is to have a cameo appearance on Little House on the Prairie, right? Uh, that's kind of our picture that we have of what it looks like to obey God. Um, does obedience mean depriving myself of fun, of good times that everybody else is experiencing in society, in our marriage, or in our family, at work with God? I want, us, I want you to feel some tension in this because we think, yes, we're supposed to obey God, but recognize that there is something in us that just, it, it, um, it fights with that concept of obedience. Tell, tell me, uh, you don't have to say it out loud, but just think about when you hear these verses, what the response is inside you. Luke 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? Matthew 7. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. John 15. You're my friends if you do what I command. It creates that, that sense of obedience. It creates the need to obey. It creates in us this sense of, wait a second. Yes, I know you're God, I want to do what I want. And that just doesn't, I just don't like this whole thing of having to obey. We, re, we read those verses and we think that being a follower of Jesus means that it's all about rules because we have to keep those commands to be a follower of Jesus. We, we think that God has these standards and if we step out of line that God's going to thwack us on the back of the head. Um, that he ultimately is going to um, condemn us to heaven if we don't obey. Um, here's the thing. It's not that at all. God wants to have a relationship with us. That's what this whole Experiencing God series is all about. 
It's not just that we follow in blind obedience, but that we have this interaction with him that happens on a daily basis, that we sense what he's doing. We hear his voice, that we're responding to him. That re this relationship with God is not built on following rules, on keeping the law. It's built on his love for us and the way that we respond to him. In a relationship built on love, Obedience is not a burden. When, when you see these on screen and it's got a, 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 a word that's underlined, if, you've had, if you have the sermon notes in your app, that's a word that you can fill in the blank and it'll keep you engaged. We don't talk about that very often, but um, you can do that. You can, you can add that in now. In a relationship built on love, obedience is not a burden. Obedience is the natural response to the wishes to the desires of someone that you love and respect. We tend to think obedience equals rules, systems, structures, confinement. But obedience is really choosing to respond to the prompting of someone else. When my wife says to me, hey, Rick, would you take out the trash? And I do. I'm responding to her desire with obedience. She hasn't ordered me to take out the trash, right? But I know that her desire is that the kitchen not smell like yesterday's leftovers and that it not look like there's just stuff all over the place that nobody's paid any attention to. And so I respond. You can call that compliance. You can call that honoring her request. You can call that doing what's expected. You can call that wanting to live to see another day. Um, but right... <laughs> But in reality, it's the, it happens out of my relationship with her. And it really is obedience to her desires. When a teacher or an employer gives an assignment and we complete that task, we're responding with obedience to the assignment that's given. When you create a budget for your Christmas giving and you choose to live within that budget, you're obeying the agreement that you've come to. Does that make sense? Got it. Um, is, is that restrictive? Is that unrealistic? Is it unfair? Is it limiting? It only is any of those things if you care more about yourself than you do about the relationship that you have with the other person. It's, it's only a bad thing if you care more about you than the relationship. If you blow the budget on Christmas gifts, and spend whatever you want, regardless of what you've agreed on, you will not create freedom and joy. It will create a burden in January or February when the bills come due, right? At best, it might lead to a few weeks or months of living on ramen noodles. At worst, it might lead to bankruptcy or to destroyed trust in your relationship. If you decide that that assignment or that, that uh, task that you've, you've been given is too narrow, that the due date for that is it's restrictive, and you want to complete that task on your own schedule at work, um, on your own schedule, if you're a student, that decision will create a massive burden for you later. It won't create freedom. It will create burden. Your future assignments will become more narrow and smaller because you didn't obey the task that was given. You might lose your job. 
The, the bottom line is this. Obedience deepens a relationship. It doesn't lessen it. Obedience deepens a relationship. John, perhaps Jesus' closest friend among the 12 disciples, wrote this late in his life. This is 1 John chapter 5. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. What, what a promise that's there. John says, the instruction that God gives, the things that he asks, when he says, this is how I want you to live, they don't create a burden. They don't create an unrealistic set of expectations, an unrealistic set of rules. He tells us what he wants because he loves us, because he wants our relationship with him to deepen. Obedience, when we live out obedience, it deepens our trust in the person that we have a relationship with, with a person who's asked us to obey. We, when we choose to obey, implicit in that decision is a trust in the person or the system that's given that direction. Um, it's, been a, it's been a long time. It's probably been 40 or 50 years since this was common. But marriage vows used to include the bride saying, I take you to be my husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, to love, honor, and obey till death do us part. And according to God's word, I give you my promise. Um, in one of the first wedding ceremonies I performed, I asked the bride if those were the vows that she wanted to use in their wedding. She did, and so I did. At the reception, one of the women who had attended the wedding came up to me, and she came up to talk, and she was clearly agitated. She told me how terrible it was to ask a wife to pledge to obey her husband. I listened to her and I explained that uh, we had talked about it ahead of time and the bride wanted those vows in her wedding. That didn't set well with her either and um, she continued to express her irritation. She turned and faced me directly and said, you will never officiate my wedding. And I said, okay. Uh, that's fine. Um, she, she, she had already been divorced, I think, twice. And I don't think she ever got married. Because she didn't have a love issue. She had a trust issue. It, it was all about trust. Scripture describes the love and trust that Jesus had for his father. Philippians 2 about Jesus, is, it says this, and being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus trusted that God's plan was better than his. Hebrews chapter five says this, although he was a son, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. And he was perfected. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who will obey him. Jesus trusted God, and we can trust God. We can trust him in our relationship. The book of Acts lives that out on a practical term for, for people, not just for Jesus as the Son of God. The book of Acts describes the history of the church in the years following Jesus' resurrection. 
In Acts chapter 5, the apostles get thrown into jail by the Jewish religious leaders for talking about Jesus. They, 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 they're put in jail. They're going to be in jail overnight. And an angel comes in the middle of the night and miraculously, like miraculously, frees them from jail, opens the doors, takes off their chains, and they walk out. And the next day, they're talking about Jesus in the middle of the town, in the middle of the city again. The religious leaders are trying to figure out what to do with these guys when somebody comes in and says, those guys that you arrested and you threw in jail, they're in the middle of town and still talking about Jesus. Um, so they come to where the disciples are, where they're talking about Jesus, and, and, and they read them the right act and say, didn't we tell you to stop talking about Jesus? Acts chapter 5 says this, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than people. We must obey God. Obedience for them wasn't a burden. It was an expression of their trust in God and their love for Jesus. Their relationship with God is what caused them to take that step to obey not, not men, not the religious leaders, but to obey God. Here's, here's, what, here's the heart of what I want you to walk away with this morning. Obedience leads to a depth of freedom in our relationships, not to a burdensome sense of slavery. O obedience is not a burden. Obedience is an expression of trust. It produces freedom, not bondage, not slavery. In, in the New Testament, there was a letter that was written to the, to the Galatians, the church that was in the region of Galatia. The, that, that particular church was made up primarily of Jews who had become followers of Jesus. They had grown up and had drilled into their heads a set of rules that you had to follow in order to have the right kind of relationship with God, in order to express your devotion to God, 612 laws that you had to obey. You had to obey to be good enough for God to accept you. But the Apostle Paul, a leader in the first century church, who was also a Jew and had also grown up with those rules, committed, he, was, he had grown up committed to following those rules. He wrote a letter to this church in Galatia. The whole purpose of the letter was to communicate um, that Jesus had paid the price so we didn't have to obey the rules. So the people at that point in time didn't have to obey the rules of the Old Testament. When Jesus, as God's son, allowed himself to be the perfect sacrifice, he fulfilled what all those rules had tried to accomplish. And so when he did that as the perfect sacrifice, he was able to, to really just destroy the rule book because it all became about the relationship that he would have with them, with us. Paul wrote this to the church in Galatia. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Just a few verses later, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Paul wrote to the church in Rome and said, don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin, a slave to sin leading to death, or a slave to obedience leading to righteousness. But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, 
You obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. When God broke the bonds of the slavery that we have to sin, and, and so in our obedience, we're freed to have a relationship with him. We're freed of the burden of having to be good enough. We're free to be able to know him on a personal level. You're going to be a slave to something. You're either going to be a slave to yourself, a slave to sin, or you're going to be a slave to righteousness, to your relationship with God. As a slave to righteousness, you're going to experience freedom like never before. When you become a slave to sin, when you live out that slavery to sin, that slavery to self, um, that's when you really become a slave and you have all those burdens. Um, if we take just a step back and think about it, um, let, let me describe it this way. When we're talking about a relationship with God, we have an opportunity to accept his love for us, to obey him, or we can refuse that love and we can live by our own standards. If that's where you are this morning, let me ask this in Dr. Phil style. How's that working for you? Feels good for a season, but it always comes back to roost. It always comes back. If you want to have a relationship with God, there's what I would call uh, this morning, just in terms of my teaching, macro obedience and micro obedience. This is, uh, these are my terms. You're not going to find this in scripture, okay? But I, I, I just want, I want to communicate uh, two concepts that really allow us to experience our relationship with God on different kind of levels. Macro obedience is our response to the lordship of Jesus. When, when we say, yes, I want to accept Jesus as the one who paid the price for my sin. I, I want to accept Jesus to fix my relationship with God. We say yes to giving God the keys to our life. We lose our, we willingly give up our ability to have any kind of control over what we do. We say yes to holiness. We say yes to confession and repentance. We say yes to forgiveness. We say yes to unity. We say yes to kindness. We say yes to generosity. We say yes to compassion. We say yes to serving. We say yes to loving people that we otherwise wouldn't like. That's all under that umbrella of macro obedience when we allow Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. In, in that love relationship, God invites you into his family and into his work. But this micro obedience that we're talking about in experiencing God, this micro obedience in that, in the relationship, we become an integral part of what God is doing here on earth. We know him and are a part of his plan being lived out in the world around us. Micro, micro obedience is a whole new layer of relationship of experiencing God. It's obeying God's nudges in the tiniest of details. Speaking up when you otherwise might keep silent. Reaching out to strangers uh, at the prompting of the Holy Spirit. It's sending a card or a text or making a phone call. It's filling a financial need for somebody that you may have a close relationship with or may not even know at all. When we respond, when we live out 
that micro-obedience, it deepens our relationship with God. God stops being an impersonal being who created the world and created a way for us to, us to be with him eternally. And God begins to be uh, just a part of who we are. We see him everywhere and, and are a part of what he's doing all around us. Think about it for a second. When, when we're dating and we get invited into our date's world, when they begin to introduce us to family and friends, we take interest in those families and friends. We take interest in the things that interest that person that we're dating. All of a sudden, we find ourselves going to the symphony or we find ourselves going to a football game. Uh, you know, all, of a, all of a sudden, the world opens up because this person that we have this developing relationship with invites us into their world. Um, does that mean that you're involved in every aspect of their business? Not at all. But deepening your relationship with them means that we appreciate them at a whole new level. We care about the things that they care about in an entire, entirely new way, in ways that we never would have otherwise. Jesus said, John 14, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Later in John 14, he says, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will also love him and will reveal myself to him. John 15, if you keep my commands and remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. In, in that micro-obedience, there is this love relationship where we see him all around us, where we're invited into the work of God in an, in an incredibly cool way. So, so what does micro-obedience look like in our relationship with God? The, this concept of, of just responding to him on a, on a daily, moment-by-moment kind of basis. Sometimes I think that response um, feels a little bizarre. Sometimes it seems dangerous. Sometimes it feels very natural. Um, when, when my family was, you know, when our, our kids were young, we lived in Rockville, Maryland. Um, I served a church there just outside Washington, D.C., and both Deb and, and my families were from Dayton, Ohio. So we made a lot of trips back and forth between D.C. and Ohio. Um, it was uh, a, just a regular part of our lives. We made so many trips that we knew where every McDonald's was at every stop along the way so that when, when we needed to make that stop, we knew where our options were. Not only did we know where every McDonald's was, we knew where every McDonald's play place was, which was much more important. Um, this, this is back at a time when germs didn't exist in play places. You could go and just, uh, you know, they, they, uh, it wasn't an issue anymore. Um, anyway, we knew when we were on the trips, if the kids were getting hungry or I was getting cranky, we knew where we could stop. So on one of our trips, we stopped in Cambridge, Ohio. Um, it's uh, about two and a half hours from Dayton, somewhere in there, uh, I don't know, six or seven hours from, from D.C. We, we stopped. I can't remember which way we're going. The kids were in the play place. They needed a break. They're, you know, they're getting their energy out. I go back up to the counter to buy some McDonaldland cookies because at this point in time, you could still buy McDonaldland cookies. And um, they were another tool that we could use on the trip to... Um, you know, in an hour, pull out the cookies, and we were going to be in great shape. So I, I came back to the table, 
And Deb's engaged in a conversation with this couple who has two boys who are also in the play place. And um, if you know my wife, she's not an extrovert, but, but she just ends up engaged in conversations with people. And it's like, I walk up and think, how'd this happen? So she's talking to them. She introduces to them to me and, um, and find out that, that, um, that he's actually a pastor at a Christian missionary, Christian missionary Alliance church in Cambridge. So we're, we're talking about stuff, talking about things. And, um, and Deb said, you know, they're, uh, I guess they ask, okay, where are you guys from? We say we live in D.C. And they say, oh, man, we so desperately want to go to D.C. Our Christian Missionary Alliance conference, our annual conference this year is in D.C. But I don't think that we can go because the hotels there are just so expensive. And my wife <laughs> says, why don't you come stay with us? Mind you, we're in Cambridge, Ohio, don't know a soul there, have only been talking to these people for less than 10 minutes. They have two boys, and she said, why don't, why don't you come stay with us? And they both go, oh, no, we could never do that. And Deb says, no, really, we've got space. You can stunt, you, we live near the subway, you can take the subway into the conference, it'll, it'll be great. Now, in the context of experiencing God, I believe with my whole heart, Deb was prompted by God in this. This was a micro-obedience thing that she sensed that God was in it. And God really did two incredible things. One, he nudged Deb to take that step. Two, I had three things. Two, he nudged this couple to say um, that they would accept that invitation. And three, he nudged me to say, Give in to your wife, trust her in this. Um, you know, th this, this is a point in time where cell phones didn't exist, smartphones didn't exist. And so, like, we couldn't even do a Google search to find out if they were axe murderers or them find out if we were axe murderers. Um, it, it was one of the crazier things that have ever happened in our lives. And these people that we met in a random um, setting came and spent a week at our house. And it was incredibly cool for us to host them and to have them come back at night incredibly refreshed by the presence of God in their annual conference as, as they came back. And just so grateful that they had a place to stay that, that didn't, you know, it, it didn't cost anything at all. It was a blessing to us, but it was a blessing to them. God, God was in the middle of that. That's that kind of micro-obedience that doesn't make any sense at all. Some of you right now are thinking, do I want to go to a church where a guy <laughs> opens up his house and lets strangers come in? That's crazy. Yeah, it is. It is. But that happens out of a love relationship with God where in a micro-obedience kind of way, we're living that out. That nudge that you feel at the gas station to say something to somebody. That nudge that you, that you have that maybe, maybe you're supposed to send a card or a note to the, this person or that person. Maybe you're supposed to speak up about this particular thing. Maybe you have this sense that in a, just a random conversation, somebody has a need and you think, you know what? I can meet that need. I, I can be a part of what God is doing. That's the role of obedience in experiencing God. Yeah, it's the big stuff. It's, you know, it, it really is the macro relational kind of thing that we have with God. 
But it's all about the micro-obedience that happens on a daily, on a moment-by-moment basis. Was, was that um, experience, was it coincidence? Was it weird? Or was God in it? I think God was in it. it out, of, out of that love relationship, we saw that God was nudging and we responded. Don't miss this. We want to respond to God's nudges, but we don't want to risk anything. We don't want to pay a price. We don't want it to cost us anything, right? We want to just be able to be done with it. When we respond with obedience to the nudges that God gives, it will cause us to rearrange our lives. It was a risky thing to have people come stay in our house for a week, but God was in it. When God prompts you to make a contact with someone, when God prompts you to buy tires for somebody, when God prompts you to do something like that, it will demand that your life is rearranged because money that you have already set aside for something, you use for something else. Time that you think, I'm going to spend it this way, you spend differently because of God's nudges. It will, it will involve change in our lives. It will involve change in our lives in terms of our reputations because people will think that you're crazy when you do those things, when you respond to the nudges of God. It will, it will create change in our schedules, in our comfort. Um, but being a part of what God is doing deepens our relationship with him and we understand who he is on a completely different level when we obey at that micro level. God loves us deeply. He loves us personally. And he invites us into his work. When we respond to his invitation with obedience, we see a glimpse of what God is doing and it deepens our relationship with him. Here's the last thing I just want to challenge you with. If we have an obedience problem, we have a love problem. Because obedience comes out of the love that we have for God. When we love someone, we're drawn to their character. We're drawn to their nature. We're drawn into their world, and we respond to that world in a really cool way. Here's the takeaway. Obedience is not a burden. It's a freedom to experience God, a doorway into a deeper relationship with him. Man, live that out and just see how God transforms your world. Let's pray. Lord, um, we want, we want you. We want to know you. We want to see the, your work, the ways that you're working around us, and we want to be involved in that. But God, it is really scary for us. Help us to trust you more. Help us to know you more deeply. Help us to recognize your, your prompts so that we can honor you, so that we can love you, so that we can respond to you in even greater ways, at a greater level of depth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.